So we are continuing in our series in the book of Ephesians, Christ and the Church. And now we come to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Hear now the eternal living Word of God. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his Spirit. To me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Now, we all go through different stages in our lives, from being born and toddlers into elementary school, high school, some of us into college, and then all into adulthood. But I think for me, and many of us may say, the, most, the stage that brought about the most significant change in my life was parenthood. All of a sudden, I was responsible for another human life. Everything I did, they saw. Everything I would do, they, they would mimic. The joys were very high, and the stress and the frustration was very high also. And now with six, we, we continue this stage, Pam and I. So throughout our study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Christ and the church, so far we've been studying what it means to be in Christ? What are the benefits and the blessings that God bestows upon us as a result of our spiritual union with Christ through faith? And last week, at the end of chapter 2, we looked at where Paul was laying out this especially difficult situation for the Gentiles, who who are simply non-Jewish people, and what was their difficult situation prior to the coming of Christ? 
They were not only dead in their sins and trespasses, as everyone is without Christ, but they were outside God's covenant people. They were separated from God and his people without access to the scriptures, where the promises of God were contained. But in Christ, both Jew and Gentile have been reconciled to God and therefore reconciled to each other. Through faith in Jesus Christ, every believer is spiritually united to Christ, and therefore every believer is spiritually united to each other. And so in our passage this morning, Paul's following up this discussion of the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's people, into the household of God. And he does this by praying for his Gentile readers in Ephesus. And in this prayer we'll see what has changed now in the error of the church. Now that the gospel has been fully revealed in Jesus Christ because God's redemptive history has different stages. We find ourselves now in the error of the church of Jesus Christ. And so for Paul's readers, this was new. Paul wrote this letter in the first century and the error of the church had just begun. But for us, Many of these things are not new. The gospel has been proclaimed since the beginning of the church for 2,000 years now. And so we'll see what does it mean now that the gospel is fully revealed? What does it mean for the church? And these will be reminders for us. So in this passage, we're given three reminders about the gospel in the age of the church. First is the mystery of the gospel is revealed power of the gospel is unleashed, and the comfort of the gospel is assured. Paul immediately begins this prayer on behalf of the Gentiles by connecting the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's covenant people with his mission as an apostle. Starting in verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So because Paul, because of the inclusion of the Gentiles, Paul is in prison at this moment. Because Paul has been commissioned by Jesus himself as an apostle, with a specific focus on bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. Paul spoke of this elsewhere, that he was called to preach the gospel mainly to the Gentiles. God's grace was upon Paul. He changed him for the purpose of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And Paul says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. God revealed to Paul by revelation what he refers to as the mystery of the gospel. And then Paul begins to unpack this mystery of the gospel starting in verse 4. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it, is ha- as it has now been revealed to his holy, prophets, holy, holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
the mystery of the gospel that was hidden from humanity in past generations before the coming of Christ, but in now in the age of the church is revealed, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews. They are members of God's covenant people through the gospel. And this is our first reminder about the gospel in the age of the church, that the mystery of the gospel has been revealed. The age of the church is an age of multi-ethnic people of God. God has mentioned in the Old Testament that his heart is for the nations. Most prominently, we know that when he promised to Abraham, he promised to bless all nations through Abraham, who was the father of the Israelites. And there are a few other places you can see this, but what has been revealed now is that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is calling to himself a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. God's people are no longer of one nation, one ethnicity, the Jewish people. God's people are multinational, multi-ethnic, multiracial, speaking every possible language. And we read of a great multitude in the book of Revelation. It says that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robe with palm branches in their hands. And this is a comfort. This is a comfort for you and for all of us in evangelism, in outreach efforts, because we know that God is sovereign over salvation. We know that an uncountable number of people will be in glory in heaven. Charles Spurgeon once spoke of this multitude before the throne. He said, if there shall be in heaven a multitude surpassing all human arithmetic out of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, how certain the gospel is to achieve yet a great success. It gives us confidence in the success of the gospel worldwide but also confidence in the success of the gospel in our own community. We're a church in northeast Philadelphia. It's one of the most ethnically diverse international sections probably in the country. And it's comforting to know. It gives us confidence to know that our efforts, that God has chosen for himself a people, a multi-ethnic people, every nation, tongue, and tribe. And we can confidently evangelize our neighbors regardless of who they are where they're from, knowing that the outcomes of the gospel being preached lie solely in the hands of God himself. Then Paul speaks of his role as a minister of the gospel. He says in verse 7, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that anyone, Jew or Greek, through faith in Jesus Christ, is, given, is forgiven of all their sins. Anyone, through faith in Jesus Christ, is accepted as righteous in the sight of God by the righteousness of Christ transferred to them. Of this gospel, that through faith in Jesus Christ you are reconciled to God, it's this gospel that Paul was made a minister. And this was according to the gift of God's grace, Paul himself was a Pharisee, he was well-educated in the Hebrew scriptures, but he was a persecutor of the church. He rejected the gospel when it was first proclaimed. But the gift of God's grace 
God converted him. He not only then had faith in Christ and believed in the gospel, but he sacrificed everything to proclaim it. And he's saying this is a gift of God. This gospel was given to Paul by the working of God's power. Then continuing this thought, in verses 8 and 9 he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul doesn't think more highly of himself because of this massive role he's been given. He considers himself the least of all the saints. He knows he's unworthy of this task, but he's, it's been given to him by the working of God's power. The grace of God was given to Paul to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And this is why God saved Paul. It's to bring to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Paul, as a missionary to the Gentiles, has been gifted with the mystery of the gospel. That the Gentiles are included in God's plan of salvation. Included in God's covenant people through faith in Jesus Christ. Then he gives the reason for all of this in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul's been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, revealing the mystery that's been hidden for generations so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known and made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, there's been an ongoing debate for centuries whether or not Paul's referring to good or bad angels when he says the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, while this is a little uncertain, what is clear from this passage is that God is using the church to display his glory to the heavens. It's through the church that God is making his gospel known. It's through the church that God is changing the world. But it's also through the church that God is making known his glory to the heavens. And so this is our second reminder about the gospel in the age of the church. That it's through the church that the power of the gospel is unleashed. God's glory is manifest on earth and in heaven through the gospel. And through the church. God is changing this world, transforming it through his gospel. And his vehicle of choice to bring the gospel to the world is the church. As the church, our real value isn't how great or how good we are, even how good of a job we do. Our value is what God is doing through us. What God is doing in this world. It's the message of salvation that we bring to the world that is of infinite value. The message of the gospel, the message that that salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. And this is our mission, to continue to make known the manifold wisdom of God, to continue to reveal the gospel to the world by preaching, teaching, speaking the gospel, but also through living a life that has been changed by the gospel. Living with a love for God and a love for our neighbor that is beyond a human or natural explanation. This is a witness to the glory of God. 
in his infinite wisdom, God predestined and he sovereignly elected a people to himself. And he calls those people over time. In the Old Testament, God called to himself the people of Israel. But now in the age of the church, after the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, the mystery that was hidden is now revealed. God is now calling people of all nations to himself. He's changing their hearts through the gospel. And the church wields this power of God through the gospel. Paul elaborates in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. The mystery of the gospel has been revealed in the age of the church. The power of the gospel has been unleashed, and this is all according to the eternal purpose of God, the eternal plan of redemption that is fully realized in Jesus Christ. It's in Christ that we, his people, you and I, who have faith in him, it's through your spiritual union with Christ that you have this, what Paul calls, boldness and access with confidence through your faith. And so through the first two chapters of Ephesians, Paul said that the church is the culmination of God's eternal plan. It's the church that is the means by which God will fulfill his plan for the world. And now Paul's saying that the church is not only transforming the world, but the church also displays the glory of God to heaven. So we as the church serve not ourselves, but we serve the purpose of God. We serve for the glory of God. And so Paul says we have a boldness here. He's talking about in approaching the glory of God in the heavens. And this boldness comes from our freedom from any accusations. When you come before God and all the angels, good or bad, you can be unafraid because you are in Christ. You are united to Christ by faith. Therefore, the penalty of your sins are paid. And the perfect righteousness of Christ is transferred to you. And this is where any boldness you can have comes from. But Paul also says, Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom, it's in Christ, we have this boldness and access. We saw this idea last week in the last passage that we have access to the Father. The word access is a term for entering the throne room of God. And so it's through our union with Christ, we have access to the throne room of heaven with boldness, with confidence, knowing that everything Christ has accomplished is ours in our union with faith, union with him through faith. Now, it's a bit ironic if you compare Paul's earthly situation to what he's writing. Paul is a prisoner of Rome. He's writing this letter from a Roman prison. So he has absolutely no earthly freedom. He can't go anywhere or do anything in the world at the time he's writing this. For all he knows, he could be executed by the emperor. Paul's a man who has nothing to offer, not physically in this world, not spiritually either, at least on his own. But he has access to God through his engrafting, through his union with Christ. And he can come before the throne of heaven with boldness and confidence. And this contrast exists for each of us, individually and the church as a whole. The church isn't powerful 
in this world. The church doesn't consist of the wealthy, the famous, the powerful, the glamorous people. It, it doesn't consist of those who have anything that the world tells us is desirable. But the church is the manifold wisdom of God revealed in this world. The church is God's chosen vehicle in this world of the gospel, and therefore salvation. The church is God's chosen way to transform this world, to bear witness to the glory of God on earth and in heaven. And so if the church is powerless by worldly standards, full of weak sinners, powerless creatures, but the church is also those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And through the sacrificial death of Jesus, the church has access to the throne room of God. So as the church, you and I can approach God in boldness, with confidence through faith, that your salvation rests in Christ alone. All the blessing God bestows upon you in Christ are given to all his people indiscriminately. All the people that he's chosen before the foundation of the world. And all these people of God chosen in Christ are a people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. And we are all united to each other. And through faith we experience together the blessings and the glory of God. The church is one body, united to Christ through faith and united to each other in Christ. So Paul concludes his prayer by telling the Ephesians how to respond to the truth of the gospel, this reality of the church in Christ. In verse 13 he writes, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your Paul here is speaking of his current suffering in, in the Roman prison. And he was originally charged back in Jerusalem and eventually extradited to Rome. And you can read of this charge in Acts 21. It, it says he brought Greeks into the temple area of the Jews. And this charge that came against Paul, he, he, was, a, he was with a Gentile named Trophimus, who was an Ephesian. Paul was arrested for bringing a Gentile from Ephesus into the temple. And Paul's saying not to lose heart over his suffering because his, he's suffering for the truth that he's been explaining in this letter. The expansion of God's covenant people to include the Gentiles. Paul's suffering is a part of the revelation of this truth that Jews and Gentiles are a part of one body, one people of God united in Christ through faith. And Paul's willingness to be imprisoned for this truth is a witness to the reality on earth, and in heaven. And this brings us our third reminder about the gospel in the age of the church. The comfort of the gospel is assured. Paul's able to look beyond the human, earthly perspective of his suffering, and he can consider it from a heavenly perspective. From an earthly perspective, Paul's suffering creates nothing but trouble and difficulty for his ministry. It endangers his life. It ruins his reputation. But from a heavenly perspective, he sees that God uses everything in our lives, even our own suffering, for his own glory. Paul's imprisonment served to unify the body of Christ, making known the inclusion of the Gentiles into the covenant community. And therefore, it reflects the glory of God. The glory of God is proclaimed in our suffering because 
The church is purified in our suffering. You're sanctified in your suffering. God's strength is made known in your weakness. And the comfort that Paul wrote of in in Romans 8, verse 28, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And for the church as a whole today, specifically the U.S. and really throughout Western culture, things look difficult, even bleak, from an earthly perspective. When we consider all the numbers we could possibly compute, it looks like things are declining. Church attendance is down nationwide. Giving churches are closing their doors. But from a heavenly perspective, there's a comfort in the gospel. Knowing that the church is God's vehicle for the gospel. God has chosen the church for glory. Christ has risen in victory and we as his body have resurrected with him. So for those who love God, God works all things. Not just some things. Not just the things we like, but all things. Even our sufferings. Even seemingly difficult situations for good. Every situation you find yourself in God works for good. Now, it doesn't mean everything that happens is good in and of itself. But God works it for good. God uses everything for the good of his kingdom and for his glory. Even if you can't see how or why, you can trust in God. The God that chose you for adoption in Christ before the foundation of the world. The God that loved you so much that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And the same God has promised that for you, for those who love him, he works all things for good. And so these reminders about the gospel in the age of the church can serve to embolden you in your service of God, in your outreach in the gospel. The reminder that the mystery of the God has been revealed is a reminder that God reaches those who the world rejects. God has elected a people from everywhere, speaking every language, and this means it includes people in Philadelphia, people in Bucks County. And so may this encourage you in sharing the gospel with your neighbors. You can boldly witness the gospel through sharing your faith, through the truth, sharing the truth about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and through living your life with a radical love, a life of someone united to Christ, by faith. And the reminder that the power of the gospel has been unleashed in the age of the church is a reminder that you are not asked to do any of this by your own power alone. But it's by the power and the wisdom of God that is made known through what God is doing in the church. And so you can move forward in service of God without fear, without fear of failure or rejection. You can continue to serve God in love knowing that he is in control of the outcomes. You can sacrificially give yourself over to the service of God, to love God, to love your neighbor, because God is glorified in his people living in a unified love in service of him. God is glorified when his church, his people, live with lives of love that he has called us to. And he will accomplish this through his own power, through the gospel. And the reminder that the comfort 
of the gospel is assured in the age of the church is a reminder that our suffering, our struggle, is not in vain. God will see us through to the end. And the church will prevail in the end because Christ will prevail in the end. Christ is victorious, therefore the church as his body is victorious. And the gospel is our eternal comfort. That God has chosen us to be in Christ, to be adopted into his family. And he has united us to Christ by faith. Is a comfort in every situation you can find yourself in. Because you're united to Christ for eternity. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Not sickness, not financial issues, not your own failures and your own inadequacy. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you are united to him. And you will remain united with him for eternity. And this is a comfort in the gospel. That no circumstance, no matter how bleak and difficult it may be from a earthly perspective, it can't take away this truth. From a heavenly perspective, you are united to Christ by faith. You are his. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Because it's through faith in Jesus Christ that you're united to him. It's through this spiritual union that we all have with Christ that we receive all the blessings of God in Christ. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that you're received into God's people, that you have the power of God and his gospel working in you and for you, and that you have the eternal comfort of knowing that you are in Christ for eternity. And so know that Christ is the only way to the Father, that salvation is only found in him alone, that no matter what you're going through in life, if you have Jesus Christ, you have everything. But without him, you have nothing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that we have nothing to bring to the table. But you and your infinite grace, your infinite mercy, loved us with a love that is unconceivable from our perspective. That you continue to love us even though we continue to fail you. Lord, may we Dedicate ourselves. May our hearts and minds be focused on you. May we love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. And may we love our neighbors as ourselves. May we continue to show that love to the world. May our lives be revelation of your love and your glory. And we as a church make your glory known on earth and in heaven. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.